Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister meets with African leaders as he continues a push for a seat on the UN Security Council. I think over the past years, we've demonstrated as a country that we are engaged in serious uh, multilateral institutions and solving challenges around the world. Is John Baird mulling a run for the Conservative leadership? John Baird is being pressed uh, to enter the race by some prominent Conservatives who've said so publicly, and, and I'm hearing there are a number of prominent Conservatives behind the scenes who haven't actually sort of committed publicly with their endorsement, but they'd, they'd like to see him run too. And Alberta waits for a decision on the proposed Tech Frontier oil sands mine. So the scientists, the experts, the economists have ruled. In July, they said, on the balance of factors, including the science, the facts, the economy, the environment, Indigenous support and consultation, the Tech Frontier mine is in the national interest. It's Monday, February 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Hello, Peter. Thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure, Mark. Good to be here. Let's start with the prime minister's trip to Africa. Uh, There were a lot of meetings over the weekend. He continues to bid for support for Canada's bid for a U.N. Security Council seat. What do you think was achieved in the last few days and where does his trip go from here? Yeah, I guess we'll know uh, what's been achieved when we finally see how the how the vote goes. I mean, that doesn't happen till June, so you know this is uh, this is the charm offensive that we we knew uh, the prime minister would have to mount at some point. And you know, it's, it's really a question of whether you think it's a charm offensive uh, because it's an effort to try and solidify the support from African countries, or whether you think it's a charm offensive because the support's crumbling or was never there in the first place. And there's lots of experts who think that, uh, you know, this trip is coming, it's too little too late, that, you know, Canada, Canada's efforts over the last number of years and in, in, uh, on the African continent speak for themselves. We don't match up with, I mean, Canada's done a lot in the African continent, but uh, it's these kinds of votes for temporary security council seats always come down to what have you done for me lately? And he's trying to play some catch up there. He's, you know, $10 million announced for this project. And I'm sure we're going to hear a sprinkling of more money uh, over the next couple of days as this trip continues. Uh, But I think it suggests to a lot of people that the bid's in trouble uh, if it's not already doomed. And Canada's there trying to at least minimize the poor showing. And if it is in trouble, what does that mean for the prime minister, given his whole message going back to 2015 around Canada is back? Yeah, I think it's it would have to be viewed as a as problematic. As a some people will suggest, it's, it'll be a terrible embarrassment. Everybody, I think, remembers when uh, Justin Trudeau uh, defeated Stephen Harper in 2015. You know, the the mantra was Canada's back. Uh, you know, reassuring allies around the world that it's it's going to be a new era of Canadian cooperation, new era of Canadian investment, and he really trumpeted the fact that. Uh, this was going to be the route Canada was taking, and he took it on personally. He's the one who announced the bid for the Security Council seat, said we're going after this, we're going to get it. Um, he, he, you know, he was very critical of the Conservatives when they didn't get it, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. But in, in this case, he's taken this as a, he's invested a lot of personal capital in trying to win 
this temporary security council seat starting in 2021. And when you invest a lot of personal capital and the plan doesn't work, uh, you lose a lot of personal capital. He's made it his personal project. And if it doesn't work out, um, I think it will, uh, will reflect badly on him. Let's turn to the Conservative leadership race. And on the weekend, former Cabinet Minister John Baird gave an interview in which he said he is thinking about running for the leadership. Lots of people have asked him to, including uh, Alberta Premier and former Federal Cabinet Minister Jason Kenney. Do you think John Baird is serious about entering the race? And do you think, uh, what do you think about the message that he is spreading as he talks about the leadership? I think he he really is considering it. I think it's uh, it's always interesting to me to watch the dynamics of of these kinds of leadership races, uh, especially when they're leadership races nobody expected to have. You know, when they when they pop up suddenly, and we we know the troubles that Andrew Shear had. But I think when people, uh, you know, I, I think when Andrew Shear won the job, people thought he'd be there for at least a little longer than he than he was there, uh, and and maybe even get a. Uh, get a second election, but when it became clear that it's an election, conservatives, a lot of conservatives think they should have won, uh, then he was in trouble. So right away, people who weren't thinking about a leadership bid need to start thinking about a leadership bid, and that's what we're seeing. You know, Peter McKay had to do that. He's in. Uh, John Barrett's being pressed uh, to enter the race by some prominent conservatives who've said so publicly, and, and I'm hearing there are a number of prominent conservatives behind the scenes who haven't actually sort of committed public uh, publicly with their endorsement, but they'd, they'd like to see him run too. Uh, my personal feeling is I think um, I'll be surprised if he at this point enters the race. And I think we've seen some of that uh, that weekend interviews. You know, he he did say that uh, he still hasn't made up his mind, hasn't made a decision, but it's getting late into the race. So it's a day-by-day thing, which I take to mean uh, very quickly uh, in the next few days probably or within the next week or 10 days. I think John Baird will have to tell us yes or no uh, that he's in the race or he's not. And I think it was kind of interesting as well, uh, the language he used about needing to, you know, the Conservative Party needs to be a, a modern Conservative Party, but it needs to be true blue. And I think that's the conflict that the race is going to highlight once we get right into it is, you know, they need to be true to their values. He's echoing the language of Aaron O'Toole's campaign, which I think is interesting. Uh, his campaign is he's going to be the true blue Tory uh, candidate and John Baird used those terms in the interview, and he also talked about the party, as I say, needing to be modern and to stick to its values. But that's the challenge for conservatives these days. What are the values? You know, the, when he talks about a modern party, I think everybody understands he means the party has to move past you know some of the challenges it's faced on the issue of same-sex marriage and, and other social issues. Uh, but for some members of the party, that's uh, they're not going to leave that issue behind. So that's going to feature in the leadership race. Yeah, and it's interesting to see him using that language because it suggests that there are some people within the party, including former cabinet ministers, other stalwarts, who who don't necessarily see Peter McKay as representing their version of conservative politics. Yeah, he used again the term that others have used, you know, we, we, we don't want to be liberal light. So who's he talking about? Uh, you know, I mean, if we don't want to be liberal light, so presume, you know, I assume that means he thinks there is a uh, that at least that uh, descriptor is going to become some kind of an issue in the campaign. So who's the liberal light candidate he's talking about? I think most people would point to Peter McKay and say uh, that's what he represents. And so, you know, is that kind of code for saying, I don't think Peter McKay is the guy? And, and uh, you know, is that who John Baird's talking about? And, and exactly what does he mean? Does he, what does he mean the party has to do in, in terms of, 
uh, capturing a wider audience if it's not to dispense from with some of these social issues and some of these challenges they faced. And, you know, Peter McKay was really clear about how he thought those hampered them in the last election. I'd be curious to know exactly what John Baird thinks uh, they need to do to capture those uh, those voters, bring those voters into the Conservative Party, largely in urban centres. Mostly, uh, we're talking about the, uh, the you know, you know, the belt around the city of Toronto. How do they win, win back the seats they used to hold there and new seats, uh, which would give them enough, uh, which would give them enough seats in the House of Commons to actually go on to form the government they thought Andrew Scheer should have. All right, let's turn to another big decision for the Liberal government, and that is on the tech frontier mine. This is kind of like another version of uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline decision, only perhaps even more contentious, uh, in part because there are reports that Liberal MPs actually told the government, in spite of the fact that uh, others are advising them to go ahead, that they should not, that it, it's going to produce too many emissions, make it harder for Canada to meet its emissions reduction targets. Uh, so this is a bit of a pickle for the government because clearly Western provincial leaders want this to happen. Yes, and add to all of that, the stuff you've mentioned, Mark, the, these reports that we've seen you know, behind the scenes, the government's working on some sort of an aid package if they say no uh, to the frontier uh, mine development. You know, massive, uh, massive project uh, with thousands of jobs associated with the development of it and then, you know, a couple of thousand more to... Uh, to keep it ongoing, it's still not a, it's still not a sure bet. By the way, I mean it's gone through the approval process. That part is, but uh, the company still reserves the right, I suppose, to not proceed if it doesn't have all the other feeder projects that go with it approved and so on. But I think this may be the most uh, challenging decision the the Liberals will have to make uh, since they took power in tw- in 2015 uh, because of those things you mentioned. Uh, how to reconcile? I think this is really where the rubber hits the road on. Uh, the Prime Minister's uh, constant reference that you can have uh, economic development, you can have energy development, and you can also save the climate when every time he says that there's a whole, there's a large constituency of what have been Liberal supporters, you know, listening to that, shaking their head and going, no, you can't, not by approving uh, a massive oil mine in in Alberta uh, that's going to produce, you know, uh, millions of megatons of greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which will defeat your efforts to try and, uh, you know, meet uh, climate change targets that will uh, reduce these emissions and sort of get Canada back on track to targets it can't meet anyway at this point. But this will be, I think, the moment uh, where the government's really going to signal to Canadians, okay, where where it's going to be heading here. Is it is it really going to come down on the side of further economic development? And see what it can do to uh, to then work on uh, better emissions uh, targets for the province of Alberta, and see if they'll step up their game out there. And maybe that'll take off some of the pressure. But that's you know that's that's if it's a yes, if it's a no, we know the wrath that we're going to hear from from Western Canada over this, and from Alberta, and the, a lot of the people in Alberta. Uh, you know, and I think the other thing to consider is th- these are really big decisions, and. Uh, the truth of it is, the, the people taking the decisions when you know the rubber hits the road. When you talk about possible, you know, let's up the game and let's watch. You know, we'll, we'll say yes, but we'll find a way to for Alberta to reach you know, uh, you know, uh, net zero emissions by 2050, which is what the Liberals are pushing now. But the truth is, none of these leaders are going to be around in 2050. Right? Who know? Who knows what the targets are going to look like then? Yeah. And they'll be long out of office, or maybe long gone for that matter. So. Uh, this is a big, big, big decision. 
All right. We'll see what this week brings in Canadian politics. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. So the scientists, the experts, the economists have ruled. In July, they said, on the balance of factors, including the science, the facts, the economy, the environment, Indigenous support and consultation, the tech frontier mine is in the national interest. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues in favor of the tech frontier mine. The Sun writes... We shouldn't sacrifice our economy at the altar of extreme environmentalist views that wish to beggar our economy. Canada can't afford to send the message to businesses and entrepreneurs that we're willing to shut down entire industries to appease political agendas. We need to be open for business. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues the oil sands mine in Alberta is hardly alone among the difficult industrial development questions facing the country. The Globe writes... New Brunswick is wrestling with its own frontier-like challenge as Maritime Iron pushes to build a facility that would be responsible for a spike in emissions in the province. It has not yet attracted national attention, but there is a vigorous debate in New Brunswick. This clash between economy and environment will become a constant question in Canada. The federal government believes a balance can be achieved. Reality is much more complicated. In the Toronto Star, Jamie Wyatt considers the perils and power of digital media. Wyatt writes, Consider Donald Trump. His every impulse has been characterized by a desire to stir controversy and generate clickbait. But just as digital media can provide momentum, it can also kneecap an otherwise solid campaign. Peter McKay's campaign was criticized last week for an aggressive Twitter ad that mocked the Prime Minister. The reality is that most Canadians have no appetite for the kind of social media attacks that have become the norm in America. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. As we've already discussed, the Prime Minister continues his African trip, but today he is also visiting Kuwait. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, Justin Trudeau's trip to Kuwait today had been planned in advance, but was only announced last night because, as is often the case with high-profile leaders visiting the Middle East and combat zones, it was held back for security reasons. In addition to meeting in a formal context with the Prime Minister of Kuwait, Trudeau will also visit the Ali al-Salam Air Base, about 25 kilometres west of Kuwait City. Canadian troops have been based there for several years, and our Special Forces troops, which had been working with Kurdish Peshmerga fighters in northern Iraq, were moved there from Iraq after the assassination of Iranian General Qassem Soleimani in January. Trudeau will meet with those troops and then later have dinner with the Kuwaiti Prime Minister. The next step in his African tour will be Senegal, where he will meet with the President of Senegal. Later in the week, he will also be in Munich for the Munich Security Conference, where one of the issues that will be discussed will be the investigation into the downing of Flight 752 by the Iranians. More than a month after that attack, Canada and other nations who lost people on that plane are still waiting for the Iranians to release the flight recorder for investigation in France or in another third country. Thanks, Martin. Also today, Finance Minister Bill Morneau will speak at the Economic Club of Canada in Calgary. Transport Minister Marc Garneau will make an infrastructure announcement in Morinville, Alberta. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make an announcement in Comox, British Columbia. Heritage Minister Stephen Guilbeault will make a funding announcement in Montreal. And Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will make an announcement in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia. 
And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, February the 10th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.